Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Um, our scripture is found in 1 John 5, 1 to 5, uh, verses, and verses 13 to 14. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you, that you may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Last night I was at a Sri Lankan party. Well, actually there was a few, there wasn't just Sri Lankans there, I was there and a couple other token white people. But it was a 50th anniversary for uh, close friends of mine, uh, sorry, 25th anniversary and 50th birthday party, and we were having a Sri Lankan party. And one of the things that we started to notice is the first generation Sri Lankans, when the food came out, they used their fingers. And uh, the second generation and the third generation Sri Lankans, they were using the fork. It's very interesting, you know, some of you are first-generation immigrants to Canada, some of you are second-gen and third-gen, and the first generation, when they come, they hold closely and tightly to the culture. They don't want to let it go. But the second generation and the third generation, they want to embrace the new culture, and they kind of don't care too much about this, the homeland. They want to enter in to the new the very same thing happens in the body of Christ. The first generation of people that embrace Jesus, there's a vibrancy and an excitement about the walk with God. And often when it moves to the second gen and the third gen, there's this sense of secondhand conviction and almost thirdhand convictions, and they sometimes begin to wane. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 12, he said this, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. We've been talking about Jesus as the face of love. And we've been talking about how in our relationships we can experience a greater outpouring of his love, both understanding his love and then loving one another. But we also are very familiar with the fact that the fire that comes into a relationship on the front end can easily become kind of familiar and kind of wane and we can begin to look elsewhere. And the context of the book of 1 John is exactly that. They are actually second and third generation Christians in the early church. And some of them have begun to kind of lose the fire. And in fact, they've been trying to figure out how, how does this faith fit in our world? And they've actually even begun to try and alter the faith a little bit to make it politically correct. And so they had some in the midst of their church that were kind of rewriting who Jesus was. 
And then, for whatever reason, they left the church. But when they left the church, they left this sense of doubt and confusion in the body. And so when John is coming and writing this letter, one of the commentators that I looked at, he said, this is kind of like a letter from a caring father, but it kind of has a loving tone, but a little bit of an anxious tone because he's concerned that they get back on track. John actually is writing this in his 80s or 90s, and he has quite a bit of street cred, or should I say God cred, as he writes to them. He wrote his gospel or the book, uh, the biography of Jesus. He wrote that, he says, for the purpose that people would believe in who Jesus is. But when he comes to this epistle, he's writing it actually that you might know who you believe. And the knowing there is this first-hand experience, going back to the homeland. In fact, many second and third gen uh, people, they want to go back. They need to go back to the homeland to recapture who they are. And so to help illustrate this a little bit, um, you know, one of the things that John does, he talks quite a bit about the world, and we're going to look at that in a few moments. But to help illustrate this, uh, I want to tell you a joke. I don't usually tell jokes in sermons, but this one really fits. So there's a story about Bill Gates and St. Peter having some kind of interview connection. And so St. Peter comes up to Bill Gates, who's the founder of Microsoft, and says, so Bill, at this point in your life, uh, you're kind of needing to make a decision. Are you going to go to heaven uh, or are you going to go to hell? And Gates says, well, you know, I'd really like to kind of take a look at each one of them before I make my decision. So St. Peter says, okay, that's all right. So he uh, takes him up to heaven first, and he sees like the beautiful clouds and the angels and the harps and just this bounty. And then he says, okay, now time for you to go see hell. And when Gates gets to hell, he sees beaches and babes, and he sees all these parties, and it's like, wow. So he finally, St. Peter comes back to him, and he goes, well, have you made your decision? And he goes, yeah, I think I'm choosing the hell one. And so St. Peter says, okay, it's all right. It's your choice. So Gates comes to the end of his life. And he gets to go where he chooses, and he gets there, and it's nothing like what he saw. It's torment, pain, darkness, isolation. And he says to St. Peter, what's with that? That's not what I saw. And Peter says to him, he says, oh, that was just the screensaver. <laughs> and we kind of laugh at that. But the world that we live in is Satan's screensaver. There is so much deception in the world that we live in. And unfortunately, the scripture says that our hearts are deceitful and we're like a magnet to that deception. And we're drawn in because we desperately want all the pleasures of this world. The world that we live in is it is not a what you see is what you get world. And so John, throughout this epistle, he actually gives us some strong statements about the world. And we want to look at a few of those this morning. One of the first things he says, the world and its desires are passing away. You buy into the world's economic principles. 
You know how many people have set their sights on Freedom 55? Only when Freedom 55 gets closer and closer, then it's like I'm kind of afraid to give up my job because it's become my identity and I don't know if I'll be able to cope. And there's all these things that we've bought into and the scripture says the world and its desires are going to pass away. And then John goes on and he also says in 1 John 3, he says, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. The world when I say world, I'm not talking about earth. I'm talking about the cosmos, the structures and order, the arrangement of how things function. Many of you that are believers and know Jesus have probably felt that in the workplace. It doesn't have to come from a person. You can feel it in the atmosphere. There's an oil and, and water not mixing connection going on here. And then he goes on and he says this one, which is really astounding in 1 John 5, 19. He says, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's a scary thought. And up until this point, it sounds pretty depressing. But then he goes on and he says this, 1 John 3, he says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. God created the world perfect, put two perfect people in it, and then Satan comes along as the screensaver, Adam and Eve bite, and we gave away the authority that had been given to mankind, we gave it away to the devil, and Jesus has been sent to reclaim it and get it back. And then this next verse, which is one of the songs we just sung, 1 John 4, verse 4, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So in order to illustrate that, I've got a, a special guest that's with us, and I've asked Vijay to join. So um, I'm just going to invite my little special guest to come up here. Okay? So this is you, okay? If you know Jesus Christ and he's in your heart, then this is you, Okay? I know it's not a perfect figure or anything, but there we go. So as you're entering into your life, things happen that you didn't plan on. Maybe you lost your job. Okay, and right for this purpose, I forgot to say what role Vijay is, okay? Vijay's either the world or the devil, whatever you want He's him to be good. right okay. now, okay? Yeah, perfect. So, it confirms suspicions. Oh, you're not supposed you, to have yeah. your microphone on. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, you're entering into the world as a believer, and you're trying to walk justly and you're trying to do what God has called you to do and all of a sudden you lose your job okay and then all of a sudden things start to go difficult in your marriage and maybe one of your kids gets sick and maybe your best friend betrays you and goes behind your back and then maybe your dad passes away and then maybe you slip up and turn and start checking out porn on the internet and get caught what John is saying, thanks so much. What John is saying is that if you have the Lord Jesus Christ inside of you, you are an overcomer. No matter what comes into your life, you're going to bounce back up. And you know what the beauty of this thing in this little illustration? We actually had to have him penned down because he won't stay down. 
I don't know if any of you are Monty Python fans. I, I don't know if you're allowed to say Monty Python in church, but I'm kind of a Monty Python fan, and I can't really show this clip, but I can maybe tell you about it. But my favorite Monty Python clip is, oh, it's just a flesh wound. Anybody relate to that? So King Arthur is galloping through the forest and the Black Knight is in front of him and King Arthur says, I want to pass and the Black Knight says, you can't pass. And he says, okay, get out your sword and, and so King Arthur, who's the better fighter, gets it out and he lobs the guy's arm off and says, okay, it's done. And the Black Knight says, what are you talking about? That's just a scratch, you get back here. And so King Arthur comes and he lobs his other arm off and he says, and King Arthur wants to go off and he says, come on, what are you doing? You get back here. And then he continues and he lobs his one leg off and he lobs his other leg off and here's this little stump of a guy standing there. And King Arthur is galloping off and the stump of a guy stands there and says, get back here, I'll bite your legs off. I think that's the kind of tenacity that God is looking for in the body of Christ that we would step into the reality that because Christ lives in us, we are overcomers and we're not going to be defeated by the enemy of this world. That's the call of Christ. And yet most of us have to be really honest. We believe the truths of the book. We believe Jesus. Some of us, we've made that decision, and yet the reality is we're not feeling like overcomers in the world that we're living in or in the things that are going on in our life. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're just observing, and you're not really sure about this Jesus person, and you, if you're really going to be honest, you're going to say, the Christians that I've looked at, some of them, they're not really walking around with that overcomer spirit that you're talking about. Or maybe you've been trying so hard and you're beginning to doubt. Is Jesus really for me? Like, I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm just going to have to coast through because the stuff in my life right now is too heavy and too hard. John helps us with this. You see, John had something that you and I do not have. You see, John walked with Jesus. He saw him in the flesh. He touched him. That's where the letter of 1 John starts out. We touched him. We held him. We heard him with our physical bodies. And then John goes through and he watches Jesus go through the agony of the cross. And then he watches the resurrection. And then he goes through Pentecost and gets filled with the Spirit. And John can say to the church, the same Jesus that I walked with over here in the flesh is exactly the same Jesus that is living inside of me in the form of the person of the Holy Spirit. And so he, he uses, he can say, Jesus overcame and you guys are already overcomers. And one of the first things Jesus, John does in this letter is he introduces us to Jesus as the light. One of my favorite verses in this whole epistle is 1 John chapter 2, verse 8. He says, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Get this. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Isn't that an amazing picture? The darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. And Jesus is the light. And John had to set them straight because they had some deception come into their community where they actually didn't believe that Jesus was God and man. 
They were teaching that Jesus was the, came in the flesh. He was just a, a normal guy. And then at his baptism, when the dove came on, then he kind of got anointed with the Spirit of God. And then God showed up. And then right in the cross, right before he died, when he cried out, I commit my spirit to you, then the Spirit of God lifted off of him. Well, if Jesus wasn't the God-man, then we don't have the confidence to step forward. And so John is stepping back and correcting things and informing them of the Jesus that he saw in the flesh moving as God and man as is the same Jesus that they're walking with now. In order to fully understand this, we want to look at how did Jesus himself become an overcomer in order for us to learn how do we walk in the spirit of being an overcomer. And John shares, he goes into, you know, in the book, in the gospel of John, he talks about Jesus sharing. John chapter 14 to 16 is the time where Jesus is setting them up for what's going to happen. And one of the things about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and about the truth of the gospel is that there are no screensavers. What you see is what you get. And so Jesus says right up front to them, he says, the peace I give you is not like how the world gives. The world says peace comes from fighting it and getting your rights out there. It's my right, so I'm going to demand it. I've got to take you out in order to get my peace. But Jesus says, no, the peace I give you is not the peace of the world. And then he goes on and he says this in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But be, take heart, I have overcome the world. Now I've never heard anybody claim that as their life verse. But Jesus is being straight up front. In this world you are going to have trouble. It's not going to go cozy. If you've signed on to become a Christian because you think, okay, now I'm just going to step into the easy life. Sometimes it gets harder. And some of us, we've believed the lie that's been subtly called kind of the prosperity gospel that if I do this and this and this and this, then I get this and this and this and this. And we set ourselves up for disappointment. So how did Jesus live out this example for us? Step number one, you stand in the truth of what God has told you no matter what. When Jesus said to them, I have overcome the world, he had not done it yet. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. But he was stepping out in confidence with this banner of being an overcomer and declaring to them that they could put their trust in him because God the Father had said right from the prophecies spoken even before Jesus was born that he was going to be the savior of the world. And so he put his faith in that and declared it even before he came to the most difficult part of his life. Brothers and sisters, we need to take time to be with God. What is the thing that he is saying? The situation that you're struggling with right now, whether it's a relationship, a job situation, a personal struggle, you get time alone with God and you say, God, what are you doing in my life right now? 
God is so waiting for us to be blatantly honest with him and to come to him and ask him for the word. I heard a Spanish pastor tell a story about a woman, I don't know if it was in his church or where, but this woman had a husband who was an alcoholic. She believed in Jesus and her husband didn't. And this woman had prayed and she believed that one day her husband was going to come to know Jesus. In fact, not even that, he was going to be a pastor. And so this woman, when she would come to church every Sunday, she would come and she would put her Bible, she would reserve a seat next to her and put her Bible down. And people would come and say, is someone coming there? And she'd say, yep, someone's coming. And she would do that and do that and do that. And then sometimes, you know, late at night, her pastor would be, or her husband would be drunk in a bar somewhere and they would call her. And so she'd send family members to go pick him up and they'd bring him into the house and she'd say, put that pastor in his bed. And sure enough, the man became a believer. And I believe he stepped into the role of the calling that God had for him. You see, the things that God says to you, he will do. And we need to take time to listen and discern. One of the things in the district that we're in the process of doing is setting up some online training, and one of the first courses is going to be hearing God's voice for yourself. And we're looking for some guinea pigs. So if you want to be a guinea pig, there's an ad email address up there. You can just email me, and we'll put you down for that. One of the things that you must be able to do as a person who wants to walk with Jesus and be an overcomer, you need to be able to hear God's word, God's voice. His voice will always align with what's in the book. Most of the time, he will use the book. Sometimes he will give you a very specific word, just like he gave Paul. Go to the man in Macedonia. He wasn't quoting the Torah. There are times God gives us very specific words. And then we stand on it. In 1 John chapter 5, that was read for us, the confidence that can come into our prayer life, it says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will and he hears it, we have it. According to his will. So you spend time. You know, that child of yours that's gone wayward and you're worried about, you spend time in the closet with God and you say, God, what are you doing? What's your plan and purpose for them? Because I want to align with your plan and purposes. I was talking about this message with my nephew, who's a godly man, and he said, you know, he says, there's two people that are always looking for agreement with you. One is the devil and one is God. Who are you going to step into agreement with? Some of us have stepped into agreement that life just sucks and we're depressed and things are rotten and it's always going to be this way and we've come into agreement with that lie. And today's the day God wants to break that off you. God wants to break that off you and he wants you to rise up and be overcome because see what the enemy wants us to do, he wants to hold us down by the lies, the screensavers. He wants to hold us down so we cannot be overcomers. And brothers and sisters, just like in the picture up there, the spirit of an overcomer in the person of Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit, lives in you. Let him out. Let him out. The second thing is we need to be true with what's going on inside of us. 
Jesus makes this declaration. He says, I have overcome the world. The very next scene in Jesus' life, he is in the garden. And the scripture says in the gospel of Mark, it says actually that he's almost suicidal. He's desperate. And he's begging God, do I really have to go through this? In fact, it says that he's in such agony, he's sweating drops of blood. Brothers and sisters, God is looking for us to be gut level honest with him. What's going on inside of you today? Doesn't mean you blurt it out all over everybody. But you need to have a couple people, you need to have some quiet places where you take it out with God. That's what Jesus was doing with the Father. Maybe it's about your marriage. Maybe you say, Jesus, what is going on? You promised this, it's not happened. And you press in and you be honest with him about what's going on inside of you. God loves that. I remember praying for one of my neighbors. He didn't love God at all. In fact, he hated God, but for some reason he liked me. And he had this massive tumor that started growing on his face. And so one day I went over to visit him and he goes, I need a miracle. And I'm thinking, there's my window. So I said, Bob, can I pray for you? And he said, whatever. So I kind of stepped over and I put my hand on him and I just prayed whatever. I didn't pray whatever. I prayed something. And then the next day he was worse. And so you know what? I'm taking that out with God. And I'm saying, what are you doing? It's not my reputation at stake here. He likes me. It's your reputation that's at stake. And right away in my spirit, what I hear God say is, it is done. I'm like, okay, I'm moving in that direction. And I'm going to start thanking God for what he says is done. And within two weeks, that man's face was completely, the tumor was gone. Now, he was getting some chemo too, but he sat in the backyard over the fence and gave credit to God because of it, because of prayer. Some of us, we've got promises and we're hanging out underneath the lies and the pressure and God is waiting for us to step in and he's saying, how much do you want this? You know, you take your kid to the toy store and you want to really get him something, whatever. And then last, John talks, he introduces them to Jesus as light, but then he introduces them to Jesus as love. You know what's so beautiful about this picture of Jesus? He doesn't go alone. I mean, he takes, his friends aren't that great, but he takes who he has to the garden with him, and he leans into them. He's desperate. John's telling us in this book to love one another because we can't make it in the world by ourselves. Do you have a 3 a.m. friend? Do you have someone you can call at 3 a.m. and say, I am in torment right now and I need you to pray for me? Are you a 3 a.m. friend for someone? Great thing having friends across the world, you know, because the time change, it just works out perfect. Are you a trustworthy friend? You need to be able to trust your buddy to have your back, not stab you in the back. God is calling us to rise up. You know, I wouldn't make it without some of the people God's blessed me with. I have some of those money python, it's just a flesh wound friends. 
and I call them up when I'm down and under it, and they go, girl, get that off there. You're believing that lie, or you've messed up here. They just speak the truth right at me in love, and their faith, I can borrow their faith and get back in the game. That's why we need to guard the relationships that God gives us, because we desperately need them. You see, in this letter, John, in the very middle of it, it's almost this little poem that's tucked in there. And he says, you've got this. You guys are already overcomers. John chapter 2, verse 13, he says, you know this. I'm writing to you because you have overcome the evil one. And then he goes on and he says, you have overcome. He says again, you have. It's a done deal. And God is wanting us to live under this banner of you have overcome. Whatever you're in right now, if you've invited Christ into your life, you have already overcome that. In fact, the word overcome means carrying the victory off the field. It's the same word that the Nike people steal for their little logo. Carrying the victory off the field. So this morning, as we move towards communion, what is God saying to you? I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment just to stand if some of these things apply to you. We had an elder in the church I used to go to, and he said, every single time you humble yourself before God, you get blessed. Every single time. And perhaps some of you here, you're sitting on the sidelines. You've never invited Jesus into your life, and you're down you know, I have seen people make that decision to become a believer and invite Jesus into their life, and their countenance has changed instantly. I'll never forget a woman that was part of our church. She would always, every time you saw her, she was crying and under depression, and the moment she became a Christian, a light leaped into her face. Didn't mean she didn't have any trouble anymore, but she didn't have to go it alone. And if that's you, today is the day of your salvation. Some of you, you've been hiding inside. You've been hiding under a load of junk. And God is saying, are you willing to invite me into that junk and let's deal with it and face it together? So I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. And if this, any of this applies to you, if God has been speaking to you this morning and you want something either broken off you or you want to invite Jesus in afresh, I'm just going to ask you to stand. I'm just going to pray with you, and then the worship team is going to lead us. So if God is speaking to you, I'm just going to ask you to stand. Father, thank you. Thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, when you say that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that is the gospel truth. So, Father, for whoever is standing right now that wants to invite Jesus in, you just, before God, confess your sins to him. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry where I've screwed up. I need you. I accept your forgiveness. Come into my life. And for those of you that are wrestling under burdens that you can't understand, I just come right now in Jesus' name, and I command the enemy to take his hand off you right now in Jesus' name. 
Because your step of obedience to stand up is going to break that because God says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Father, continue your work in our midst. Lord, as we worship, as we move to communion, continue your work in our midst.